Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for joining us. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Today, we're going to talk about the self-storage industry. Now, this industry has really been growing. It's been uh, a sector that's been more acceptable to institutional quality investors and uh, a sector that's had some resilience. Well, today, we'll look, up, we'll look into the sector, see what's going on performance-wise, cap rates, investment-wise, and, and, and look into our crystal ball and see what we expect to see in the future. Please welcome my first guest. It's Ryan Severino, Chief Economist with Reese. Ryan, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me back on. Always uh, a pleasure to be chatting with you. Well, we appreciate it. And uh, as we talked about on the on the uh, show start here, we're going to talk about the self-storage industry and just where is property level performance? Uh, what do you see out there today in that uh, sector? You know, performance has actually been pretty good. You know, occupancy in the third quarter was down very slightly by about uh, 40 basis points, around 88.7%. However, I would say it's important to put that into the broader context. Over the last uh, year or so, we've seen pretty good performance. During the second quarter, we actually saw a 250 basis point increase in occupancy, as, as is uh, want to happen during the second quarter when the market tends to be strong. So to see a slight pullback uh, in the immediate quarter after that is not that much of a surprise. And then, again, broader context, if you take a step back, and you look at the performance on a year-over-year basis, third quarter last year to third quarter this year, occupancy is up about 140 basis points. So on the occupancy side, things are clearly trending in the right direction. On the rent side, uh, I'd say we're also seeing pretty good data from the market. Uh, Non-climate controlled 10 by 10 unit went for about $120 per month in the third quarter. That's up about that's up about half a percent or so for the quarter. So you know, annualized rate of about 2%, which is pretty good. Uh, it's up about 4%, believe it or not, on a year-over-year basis. So both of those uh, fairly healthy indicators. Uh, for, a, for a climate-controlled unit, obviously rents are a little bit more expensive because you're paying for the benefit of climate control. Uh, for a 10 by 10 unit there, you're looking at about, a, about $153 per month. And then, again, trend-wise, a uh, little less than half a percent up during the third quarter. Uh, but on a year-over-year basis, you're up about 4% there, too. So I'd say pretty good run for self-storage, uh, you know, at least over the last year or so, uh, if not longer than that. All of the major uh, variables that we look at are, are clearly pointing in the right direction. Okay. And it's seasonal a little bit, then. Is that what you're saying on the uh, occupancy throughout a calendar year? Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. what, what tends to happen is that people tend to be a little bit more mobile during the second and third quarters of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the weather is, is better across a large swath of the country, so it's, mm-hmm. it's a little bit easier to move. Kids are out of school, so it's a little bit easier to, uh, you know, to, to pick up sticks if your children are not uh, in the middle of an academic year. And so mm-hmm. all of that leads to higher turnover, if you will, uh, among households. And, and that is one of the things uh, that translates into pretty meaningful demand for self-storage. So we generally see an uptick in occupancy in the second and third quarters of every calendar year uh, and a slight downtick in the fourth and first quarter of the calendar years when obviously you're, you're dealing with more inclement weather across a huge part of the country uh, and you're dealing with kids in school, which makes it a little bit difficult to move. Right. It's a certainly an interesting sector for commercial real estate people to be thinking about, investors be involved in. And, and what about urban versus suburban? And it seems like we all see some of these self-storage places, and they, they look, I don't know, they seem to look vacant, or, or, or maybe they're not, because you can't hardly tell. But what about urban versus suburban and performance? 
uh, I would say urban is probably outperforming suburban. And I say this this intuitively makes sense. I think if you take a broader perspective on commercial real estate and you think about the recent outperformance of, say, uh, the urban apartment market or the urban office market versus the, the suburban markets, you know, clearly uh, I, I would say that there is a little bit of uh, you know, sort of urban favoritism that's going on right now. And that's true pretty much across the whole country. So whether you're talking about occupancies uh, or rents, I'd say they both tend to be higher in, in some of the, the urban areas. And this is especially true in the really hot economies, you know, markets like San Francisco, San Jose, Oakland, you know, those, those tech-oriented markets, especially uh, the markets that are dealing with supply constraints, there's a lot of demand there. So I'd say uh, the demand for self-storage in places like that is completely justified. Now, that's not to say that there's weakness in the suburbs, right? Overall, we're dealing with an occupancy rate of just shy of 89%. So I would say while the, the urban areas are probably a little bit stronger on average, it's not as if we're seeing pervasive weakness across the suburbs. It's just uh, a little bit stronger in the urban areas than we're seeing in the suburbs right now. Okay. And, and these occupancy rates, are these basically you know, the Class A, nicer uh, properties that you guys are tracking, or do you track uh, some of a bit of the older, smaller ones as well? We track everything. So uh, that 89% is really an overall market metric uh, composed of sort of, you know, the really sort of newer, uh, high amenity Class A properties and then uh, some of the older B and even uh, C caliber properties. So is it the same thing for performance, uh, Class A just outperforming B, which is outperforming C? You know, Class A has been outperforming a bit, but believe it or not, we don't really see uh, the same rift, or at least we don't see it to the same extent between classes for self-storage that we see for other property types. People, honestly, people often rent a self-storage unit out of uh, simple convenience, and they don't really expect all that much from their unit, uh, at least vis-a-vis some of the other property types. Uh, you know, sort of A versus B, C. They're, they're really just hoping for it to be fairly safe uh, and clean. And this is especially true in very tight markets where people are really just looking for, honestly, they're just looking for the, the path of least resistance of the time to rent the unit. Uh, moreover, what I would say is, the old, and this is a, a very interesting phenomenon in the industry, the older a property is, the more resilient the tenancy is, irrespective of what class of property you're talking about. So that dynamic tends to trump class in a way that we, we really don't see with the other major property sectors. And this is you know, a couple things. Number one, it's because of the hassle of moving things that have been stored for a long time. It's hugely inconvenient. It's time-consuming. A lot of people would rather just not bother with things than have to deal with the hassle of up and moving them. They're often willing to just count into minor rent increase rather than have to deal with the hassle of moving things. Uh, but also because of the endowment effect. If you haven't, for those who haven't heard of the endowment effect, the endowment effect basically says that people value an item that they already own, especially if it has some sort of sentimental value, uh, to a greater extent than the cost of going out and replacing it in the market. So tenure tends to increase as a property gets older, and not surprisingly, some of those older properties don't boast the same amenities that we see in some of the newer Class A properties. So really interesting dynamic there in the self-storage uh, sector that we don't really see in a lot of other property types, whereas buildings get, you know, a little bit older and a little more tired and, and you know, the owner isn't really spending on CapEx the way they should, should. That that tends to show up in the occupancy level. We don't see that to the same extent from self-storage for, for some of those reasons that I mentioned. 
Yeah, that's very interesting. And you talked about uh, people not expecting that many amenities from their self-storage 10 by 10. You know, in my 10 by 10, where I live on the weekends, uh, <laughs> I expect the place to be clean. I'm just kidding. I don't live out of mine. I do have a self-storage. <laughs> and you talked about... I hope it's clean. <laughs> better be, right? Um, what are some of the other factors, Ryan, that uh, impact this sector? You know, what's really interesting about this, obviously some of the stuff that we talked about, but they're the, the stalwart uh, things that you can, you can obviously imagine, right? The health of the economy, mm-hmm. the state of the U.S. housing market, every huge impact on the sector. But there, there are a few other factors, I think, that are interesting that people might not be aware of. The first thing that comes to mind uh, is that college enrollment in the United States continues uh, to reach record or near record high levels as demand for education increases across the board. And this creates demand for self-storage units, not just, you know, in the summer months when occupancy spikes when the students aren't in school and they don't necessarily want to send all their stuff home, so easier just to put it in a unit uh, relatively close by wherever uh, they're studying, but also during the school year because what happens is students tend to uh, bring stuff back with them after the summer, and then they realize they don't have as much room for the stuff that they've been storing, and so they tend to sparingly take things in and out of their units, and so that tends to create... Uh, somewhat stickier occupancy than one might think at first blush. Uh, second, uh, in any given year, a fairly significant percentage of the U.S. population moves. Now, typically, this is somewhere around 20%, but the most recent figure uh, for the U.S. Was, was only about 12%, and that makes sense given uh, the state of the overall economy over the last few years uh, has limited employment opportunities for a lot of people, and so that's reduced transience uh, of households in the economy. So as the economy continues to recover, I would certainly expect that that percentage to kind of drift back upward toward uh, historical mean levels, which should also uh, release some pent-up demand for self-storage units. Yeah, that's very interesting. And, you know, what you mentioned, too, about the people number of people moving, it does seem like that should be on a, on a big increase with the housing market doing better, the job market doing better, the economy doing better. So that might mean some... Uh, some sunny roads ahead for the self-storage market. We're going to take a short break here. We'll be right back with more from Reese from Ryan Severino. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. We're talking with Ryan Severino with Reese, and we're talking about the self-storage market. And, uh, Ryan, it's uh, been an active market for investors, hasn't it? seems like a, a lot of investors are more interested in the self-storage sector than they used to be. You know, what have you seen for sales volume in this sector? You know, I, you're exactly right, and, and obviously this year hasn't ended, but as, as far as uh, I've seen through the preliminary readings, it looks like volume this year is going to be higher than last year, which is higher than the year before. And I, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you say that you know, this is a property sector that increasingly investors, including institutional investors, are training their sites on. I think as we've seen investors become increasingly priced out of other asset classes or not yet willing to take serious development risk, uh, even in apartments where I know the property sector is booming and, and the availability of, of capital, it's a, it's a veritable deluge. But... Uh, I, I do think 
investors are approaching those other sectors a little bit more cautiously than they have before. And in a world that's increasingly on a hunt for yield, this is a property sector that offers attractive opportunities. And so uh, I think irrespective of exactly where the transaction volume ends up coming in this year, we're going to see fairly significant volume for what I consider to be a secondary property type, well ahead of, of where we've seen the sector for the last few years coming out of the recession. So I think interest is up and volume is up, uh, and I think uh, the empirical evidence is, is pretty strongly in favor of that. Well, as these investors are, are searching for yield, it seems like the self-storage market is interesting. Uh, as you said, it's fairly fairly stable. And I like what you said about even the older properties uh, maybe keeping and retaining tenants. So what kind of yields do, are these investors looking at? What, what do you see for cap rates on some of the various classes? You know, overall right now, cap rates are probably in the, say, 7 to 8% range overall. Uh, I'd say for the really high quality, you know, good quality deals, you know, fully leased, uh, are, are pretty close to being fully leased, uh, you know, very stable uh, roster of tenancy over time. You're, you're probably looking at a little bit of a premium to that 6 to 7% range. Well, cap rates for deals that are, you know, maybe not the best quality, struggling to, to you know, maybe lease up a little bit or, or have had some histories with occupancy in the past are probably more in the, you know, kind of the... the is seven to nine percent range, maybe even eight to nine percent range. I'm obviously generalizing a little bit, but I think that gives you an idea of how this market is shaping up for this year. And again, I do think that investors are out there on the hunt for yield. Uh, and and if you look at self storage vis-a-vis say apartment, you can probably get it. You know, depending upon the market, you're in a 100 to 200 basis point spread, which is uh, you know, not to overstate this or be too hyperbolic, but that's kind of gold for investors these days that are, are often dealing in a world with uh, microscopically low cap rates right now. Right. Yeah, it can be a good alternative. Well, how is this, these cap rates trending, uh, Ryan? Uh, are, have they been compressing slightly? What, what, what's the trend there? Yeah, I, you know, cap rates, uh, like other major property sectors, are down this year. Uh, I would say the cap rate compression that we've seen this year is slight compared to what we've seen over the last few years. You know, maybe uh, 50 bips or less, depending upon the market you're talking about this year. But, uh, you know, the market has been on a, on a run for the last couple of years. So if you put it into the broader context of what we've seen for the last couple of years, cap rates are definitely down, you know, from uh, average cap rates coming out of the recession. We're probably, again, it's market-specific. We're probably in the 8 to 10% range, and now we're probably down closer to the you know, six to seven percent range. So, depending upon where you are, we've seen probably a healthy couple hundred basis points compression over the last few years. And I'd say that's indicative of a healthy market that uh, that investors are increasingly feeling uh, more optimistic about. Yeah, and that's positive. If you're an investor, then you realize that people have faith in this sector. And I guess if you're you're an owner, maybe you're a possible seller at, the, at these low cap rates, especially if interest rates start to creep up in 2015. So what does your crystal ball say, Ryan, for, for cap rates, and especially with uh, that we may have some increases in uh, interest rates? You know, I, I, I know interest rates are likely headed upwards sometime mm-hmm. next year, but I think, uh, you know, and you and I have discussed this in the past, that there isn't a perfect one-to-one relationship between interest rates and cap rates. And so interest rates, I think, are almost, it, it, it's inevitable at this point, given all of the strength uh, in the readings we've seen from the economy, right? GDP is growing at an accelerating rate. The labor market continues uh, to post better and better figures uh, seemingly every month. And so at some point next year, uh, probably you know mid uh, to late year, 
we're going to see the Fed start raising interest rates. Although uh, I, I'm probably less um, I'm less bearish about the long end of the curve than the short end of the curve. I think you'll probably see some flattening out there. But either way, the good news is if all of that transpires, and I don't see why it won't, that generally means that NOI should be growing up, which will put downward pressure on cap rates, whereas premiums uh, will compress as the economy continues to improve, which will put downward pressure on cap rates. So I think our, our general outlook for cap rates, at least my general outlook for cap rates, is kind of flat to maybe slightly downward. I think most of the cap rate compression in commercial real estate, including self-storage, has probably transpired over the last few years. But I think investors who are sitting out there on the fence may be worried about uh, significant cap rate expansion over the next say two to three years, I think that risk is probably a little bit overblown. I don't think there's a lot of risk uh, for cap rate expansion uh, in the short term, maybe not even so much in the medium term. You kind of have to get out to longer term, five to ten years, I think, before you really have to start worrying about cap rates expanding. I see. And that sounds like it's, you're saying it's mainly because we're going to have such a, a strength in the economy and in the fundamentals uh, that you believe that extra investor demand is going to uh, keep cap rates intact. Yeah, I think I, I really believe that. I think a lot of investors have been sitting on the sidelines in markets over the last few years because they've been concerned about the economy. They've been, been concerned about where to redeploy capital outside of apartments. Development opportunities have not been incredibly abundant. I think the economy is going to unlock more investment opportunities than we've seen over the last years, including for self-storage, because uh, like we were talking about, a lot of the factors driving this sector you know, if the economy improves, as the labor market improves, as people start to, to move a little bit more with the health of the housing market, all of that is good for the sector, which will mean uh, higher occupancy levels uh, and stronger rents. And so I think all of that is good news for not just the fundamental side, but I think the capital market side as well. Okay. And let's talk about the sector when it comes to new supply. What kind of new supply, new construction volume are you seeing? And, and are there any special aspects to new supply in this sector, it seems like the construction is pretty straightforward and simple, uh, and that you know in some markets uh, there's no real barrier to entry. Uh, what do you see there, Ryan? I would say you are 100% correct on that, and I would say this is probably the biggest risk right now for the self-storage sector construction, in that uh, we are starting to see a fairly significant escalation in construction activity. You know, not just this year, but going forward for the next couple of years. Uh, you know, it, it's pervasive across the country. Because think about this property type, right? There, there are relatively low construction costs because it's, it's not overly complicated. It's fairly easy to build relative to other property types. Uh, it's generally not as expensive. They can be built, uh, you know, with, with you know, it, they're still tend to be in the millions of dollars range, but it's, you know, very different than building an office tower, an apartment tower. Uh, and you're right in that a lot of markets, the land is not a significant barrier to entry. So I would say, it, it's as true in self-storage as it is in the other uh, significant property sectors in that it's harder to build uh, in the supply-constrained markets, especially the coastal markets, and so that insulates them uh, a little bit. So if you're talking about you know, Brooklyn or San Francisco or someplace like that, the dynamic's a little bit different than if you're talking about some of the Texas markets or the Carolinas markets. Well, as usual, Ryan, great information. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Michael. Happy holidays. Well, thank you. And if you like more information from Ryan, uh, visit Reese.com. They track every sector in commercial real estate. You'll be glad you did. And uh, thanks for joining us now. We'll be right back with more on the self-storage market. I'm Michael Ball. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Florida International University. 
With FIU's Fast Track system, you can earn your master's in real estate in just 10 months without interrupting your career. Visit FIUonline.com to learn more. That's FIUonline.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about the self-storage industry. Please welcome my next guest, Mike Scanlon. He serves as president and chief executive officer of the Self-Storage Association. They represent the 20-plus billion in revenue self-storage industry. It has grown to some 48,000 primary facilities across the nation in the last 40 years. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Good to be with you, Michael. Well, we appreciate it. And since you're uh, kind of a leader in this industry, if you will, kind of give us a, a bit of a scope of the industry, the size and the scale of this self-storage industry. It's grown quite a bit, hasn't it? Yeah, so the industry started off uh, in the late 60s and early 70s. Uh, and believe it or not, it started off in the southwest and, and moved its way east across the country. But uh, Southern California, the Phoenix, Arizona area, and Texas, um, a lot of people were retiring to those areas and needed a place to store, you know, excess furniture and possessions. And so that's kind of how the self-storage industry got going back in the late 60s and early 70s. And today we've grown to the point where now one in 11 American households, residential households, uh, now rents a self-storage unit. And uh, it's become even a worldwide phenomenon now in, in, in that there are about 56,000 self-storage facilities all across all around the world and uh, we have uh, relationships now with china japan south africa australia it's amazing and in, in latin america and south america are really starting to pick up as hot markets right now yeah it's an incredible industry and and are there still just five public companies in the self-storage sector yeah there are five publicly traded companies uh, in the sector and uh, the uh, they are doing very well these days if you watch them on the stock tickers and how big is the, the industry? How is it segmented uh, based on, you know, the public companies and maybe the companies that own multiple properties? And then there's also a lot of individuals who own one property, right? That is true. Um, yes, the, uh, the five public companies together have around uh, 5,400 stores. And uh, that represents about 11, maybe 12 percent of the entire industry in the United States uh, of 48,500 stores, as you said. Um, but there are out there many chains now of uh, anywhere from 5 to 10 to 20 or 30 stores that are owned by independent owner-operators that are now starting to grow as the economy comes back a little bit. And uh, on the baseline of our industry are some almost 30,000 individual store facility owner-operators. Right. And sometimes people have called this the sector, the Cinderella sector. What do you think about that? Well, uh, I think I was the first one who used that, okay. <laughs> to be honest with you. No, it was after the, uh, the, during the recession that started in 2008, uh, a lot of the real estate portfolios that involved apartments and office and uh, malls and that sort of thing were all headed south very quickly. Uh, and we, uh, the, the self-storage industry kind of hung in there financially. Our customer base hung in there and stayed in their facilities and units. And we found we had a little bit of a sag there, but we did very well during the recession in comparison to the other uh, elements of the uh, commercial real estate industry. And so now a lot of uh, uh, portfolios are looking at self-storage uh, to acquire, 
uh, and have in their portfolios so that uh, it's kind of a hedge in case another recession were to come along. So we may not be as fancy and as sexy as a tall office building or a brand-new mall, but self-storage is a very reliable segment and has kind of been overrated in the past. And so that's where I came up with the coined phrase, coined the phrase of the Cinderella of the, of the commercial real estate industry. <laughs> that's great. And, and yeah, we've all seen those uh, rural properties, but we've also seen some beautiful uh, urban properties that uh, are just gorgeous. And let's talk about your association a little bit. So if someone's interested in the uh, self-storage industry, into buying or they own some properties, what are some of the benefits the association provides? Well, the, the key benefit, I think, is probably uh, education and networking. Those are the things that most of the people come to our meetings is they want to learn about how to operate efficiently, effectively, and also inside the law. Uh, we're governed by the lien laws in the 50 states, and so you really, in each state's a little different, so you have to understand uh, the contractual arrangements and uh, how to you know, work within the system um, of the uh, lien laws, which require uh, so much notice and, and, and that in case you have to have an auction sale for somebody who doesn't pay their bill. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And uh, well, we're going to have to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to talk with Mike again, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the, the demographics of these customers and uh, you know where the great sites and where the great locations are. And uh, maybe talk a little bit about uh, new construction, some other management tips if you're in this business or you're thinking about getting in the business. And remember, if you're uh, watching the show uh, or listening to the show, rather, one of the 40 radio stations, uh, you can catch videos of this show and some, and some others at CREshow.com. It's on YouTube. You can also listen to the shows on demand on iTunes. And lastly, don't forget, if you appreciate the show, to like us on uh, Facebook and talk about us on LinkedIn and Twitter. So stay tuned. More on the self-storage industry. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Realnex, providing a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low cost. Visit Realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about the self-storage industry. My guest is Mike Scanlon. He is president and CEO of the Self-Storage Association. And Mike, just who are the customers of self-storage? Uh, what are the demographics? What do they look like? Well, we cut across virtually every section of America uh, in terms of, uh, say, annual salary and that sort of thing. For example, uh, 47% of our customer base, or roughly half, uh, makes $50,000 or less a year, and um, about two-thirds of our customer base makes $75,000 or less. So, but we also have people from every uh, strata of the income scale, that you can imagine, uses self-storage. Um, we have uh, retired people make up about 20% of our customer base. About 2% are military people who are on deployment. That was 2%? Uh, and 6% are, are college students that use self-storage during the summer, okay. for example. So 6% college, and you said military 2%? Yes, yeah, about 2% right now. Okay, okay. That's interesting. Well, let's talk about the characteristics of a good site or, or a good property. What, what are some things that, that make them work well? Well, it's always, as in most real estate, it's location, location, location. So mm -hmm. the, the key element here is, is finding a market 
where uh, there's enough uh, population to support an additional facility. Uh, many of the uh, feasibility people will always say, oh, sure, self-storage is a winner. We can build one of those anywhere. Uh, that's not true anymore. It may have been at one time you could knock down the next cornfield and put up self-storage, but those days are over. You've really got to do your studies on demographics to make sure that a new facility, depending on the size of it coming into a particular market, isn't going to kill off that entire market. Um, and that can happen and has happened in the past. So location is a key element, uh, making sure that uh, you've got the access is, uh, is very important, especially from freeways, because most people select or find their self-storage facility because they drove by it and they, they noticed it and they made a mental note, there's one there in case I ever need it. So uh, visibility either through signage or the facility itself is another key element, especially in dealing with interstate highways and uh, well-trafficked uh, roads. Okay. And what are some of the, the future developments in an area that might increase the demand for self-storage? Uh, is it students? Is it military? Uh, what types of development might help create more demand? Well, uh, the demand is already there. The question is uh, finding a location where you can put such a facility in through via the zoning uh, of the uh, particular piece of property you're looking at. Um, what a lot of people are doing now, right this minute in the industry, is not so much new construction. It's actually cheaper to buy a facility and to uh, fix it up and make it uh, have more curb appeal than it is to go out and uh, invest in uh, a whole new facility uh, in a market where you're maybe not sure of whether there's enough uh, a demand for the new uh, new facility coming in ground up. Yeah, that's true. You've got some uh, history there, right? And what about some management tips, Mike? Uh, you guys are involved uh, heavily in the industry. So if I own a facility, maybe I want to buy a value-add center and, and improve the way it's operated, or, or maybe I've got a current property that I'd like to perform better. What are some tips for me? Well, I think the key thing is making your facility and your service that you provide your customer as convenient as possible. Um, most people don't realize it, but the people who come to self-storage facilities they have 64% of them have a garage at home, mm -hmm. and yet they find it more convenient to come to a facility to store their stuff. 47% of them have, have an attic, and 33% of them have a basement. So you ask yourself, well, if they have a basement and an attic and uh, a garage, why are they driving 20 minutes to put their stuff in a self-storage facility? Well, one, they consider it to be uh, clean and safe, and it's easy access in and out, uh, depending on... Uh, 24 hours a day in many cases you can come through the gate with a security pass so the idea is if you can make your facility and the services that you offer as convenient as possible and more convenient than the guy down the road I think that's the key element that makes a difference uh, for people is they notice that convenience when they walk in the door how they're treated and uh, you know maybe you hand them a bottle of water and and, and uh, and welcome them to the facility, show them around, make sure it's always clean. Those are, those are the kind of things that people look for, security and cleanliness. Uh, that's great advice. And speaking of security, I drove by a senator uh, yesterday, and I drove by it going somewhere, and I noticed the gate was open and no one's using it. Then I came by two hours later, the gate was still open, and I thought, wow, I wouldn't want my, uh, my, my, my stuff, my junk in there. <laughs> <laughs> or my valuable well, stuff. We don't refer to it as junk or stuff. We <laughs> refer to it as possessions. Possessions. I like it. <laughs> yeah, so security is important. What about an online presence? Is that becoming more important? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, and call centers, 24-hour call centers, so that if somebody calls your facility and it's actually closed, uh, and uh, then you go, it gets kicked over to a call center who can actually rent a, a space to you uh, and give you a code uh, to go through the gate, uh, that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's a combination of the Internet and being able to rent right on and look at the prices right there in front of you so that you know uh, what a 10 by 10 unit might rent for. Also, the ability to, to uh, lock it in over the Internet and also uh, a call center uh, when the uh, store is actually closed. That's great. You know, my stuff is junk. Now, your stuff and your listener stuff, it's possessions, right? My stuff, yeah, exactly. my, my stuff is junk. And you know what they're storing? It's mostly furniture, yeah. pictures, kitchenware, clothing, seasonal items, and various supplies. Those are the top categories of what people store. That's great. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us today. We sure appreciate uh, your insight and join us. Okay, Michael. Good to be with you. For more information, you can access the resources of the Self Storage Association. Just visit selfstorage.org. You know, if you own, manage, lend, invest, or if you're an advisor, you'll benefit from being involved with the Self Storage Association. Well, be sure to catch shows of special interest to you coming up on the Commercial Real Estate Show. Sign up for a once-a-week email announcing the show topic at CREshow.com. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the Self Storage Association in just a moment. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Excelligen, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about the self-storage industry. Please welcome my next guest. It's Graham Hill. Graham is Senior VP with the National Self-Storage Group with Bull Realty. Graham, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Michael. How are you doing? Great, great. Thank you. And Graham, you're out there every day talking to buyers, talking to sellers, selling these um, properties all over the southeast. How is the market today? What are you finding out there? It's really, really doing well. Mm -hmm. Self-storage has really come to the fore. Instead mm -hmm. of it being like its earlier perception of a, several hundred garages in a row, mm -hmm. it's now like a five-story modern comfort-in-type building or mm -hmm. there anything in between. The, the market is very, very hot. People mm -hmm. are really seeing this as a growing area to grow. Okay. And we've heard that uh, the market is hot we've heard that cap rates are low that the expectations for the self-storage industry fundamentals are very strong so if you will provide a tip for me as a buyer so let's say i own several of these now or i don't want own any now and i want to get involved what's a tip if it's a more of a seller's market and and it's harder to find uh, acquisition opportunities what are some tips to help me find them well, what I would suggest is you find somebody that specializes specifically in the self-storage category. Mm -hmm. Somebody like myself mm -hmm. or that, that has their finger on the pulse of what's going on nonstop. What you want to do is have a relationship with somebody where they'll bring you off-market opportunities, things that they find before they go on the market. So you get, a, you get an opportunity to really pick, pick and choose a good property. So I guess you have to develop a, a level of trust. That broker kind of has to trust you uh, to protect that broker, right? Yes, very much so. Yeah. And what about uh, another tip for buyers if they're looking at properties and it seems like, well, you know, these cap rates seem a, a little low on these existing properties. What are some tips there for a buyer? 
Well, I think there's a lot more than just a cap rate. A cap rate is a is a snap of right now. What you're buying is the future, not the past. I mean, for instance, how, is there room immediately there to add more buildings? Can you can you add more services or facilities? Is there an adjoining piece of land? What can you do with it? Not what the other person has done. They've they've had their their turn at bat. It's your turn. Mm-hmm. So. Just think positively towards what's, what you can make it. Now, are you seeing some of the properties out there where, where sellers are, are ready to sell and maybe they've gotten a little tired of the properties and there are some things that a new buyer can come in and generate more income? Oh, yes. There's lots of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Environments change. People build a building and it's maybe 10, 20 years old. The, the surrounding neighborhood has changed. There's a real opportunity for, to add things like maybe meeting facilities, uh, mailboxes, etc. type of extension, uh, UPS, FedEx pickup, any other reasons for people to come to your property and you become an integral part of the community will do nothing but add growth to your property. That's great advice. Well, we've heard that interest rates are going to start climbing. We've got great buyer demand now. So if I'm an existing owner and I want to sell in the next several years and I may decide that now is a good time to do it, what are some tips for me as a seller uh, considering the disposition process? Well, obviously, one of the most important things to do is pick an Australian. Australian, right. <laughs> Somebody from down under that can really get the job done. Yeah. No, seriously, what you want is an agent that specializes in self-storage. Somebody who already has their finger on the pulse of what's happening in the marketplace that will have a big database of existing buyers and may have an immediate match. But you also want to know what else they're going to do to create demand and what other ways they're going to market your property. So look at that carefully. Value is is a product of supply and demand. So you want to know how they are going to create the most demand for your property. And once you feel comfortable with that, pick that person and go with it. That's a good point. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to create additional demand beyond just your database of buyers. Well, Graham, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, even though you're from Australia, we'll let you here in America okay. sell self-storage, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us out there on the 40 radio stations, iTunes, and YouTube. Join us next week. We'll cover the top mistakes to avoid with commercial sales contracts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Realnex, a comprehensive and powerful suite of commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. FIU, Florida International University. Earn your master's in real estate in as little as 10 months without interrupting your career. Visit FIUonline.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit Excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit CommercialSearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.